testimonies remind us that he's still working where? In my life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for being the God that you are in our lives. And that, Lord, we can constantly depend upon you as we bring things to you before you in prayer. That you are a God who answers our prayers. You are a God who hears us. You know every tear that falls from our eyes. You know every pain that hits the heart. And Lord, you are the one that sometimes in life's desperate crisis, that Lord, you really do carry us. Because Lord, we don't know how we go from one day to another day to another day. All we know is that time passed. But Lord, you carried us when we look back at it. You're the one who kept us from coming unraveled. You're the one, Lord, who continues to work with us. And we're so thankful, oh God, that we have a God who loves us so much that he attends to every need, to every situation. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to work in our lives because your promise unto us is that, Lord, that we would be your workmanship until we see Christ himself. May you continue to work in us. May it not be yesterday's mercies that we are depending upon, but may we understand what Jeremiah says, that your mercies are anew and afresh every day. Lord, May you minister to us. Now we ask, O oh God, that you would open your word to us. Help us to feast on your word. Help us to see your word. Help us to see your word in the old, in the new, and even in the future. That, Lord, that we might be a people who truly know how to live a life that is worthy of our God. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Revelations again, looking at that third seal. That third seal. And that third seal brings about something that none of us really want to struggle with. But it is something that we all will struggle with. And the intensity of that will get worse and worse and worse. When we look at that first seal, it's conquering, which is war. You don't conquer another people without war, without some disturbance, without something taking place. And we got wars going all over the world right now. But whenever there's war, there's also famine. Whenever there's war, there's also a neglect of people. And then in that second one, he gives the writer the ability to take away peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, peace in our Families, peace in our society, peace among friends. And he even says that he causes us to kill one another. We're seeing that, but it shall intensify. 
If we think it's bad now, and this is not the tribulations, what will it look like then? If you don't care to watch news now because all the reporting every day. And how many of you heard about the guy in India who cut off his wife's head and paraded through town with it? Because he assumed that she was dating her, his son or son-in-law. But took her head off and walked through town with it. We think we hear hideous things, and yet they continue to get what? Worse. We think we've been shocked by this, and then we're shocked by that. We think we have control of this thing, and then something new pops up, and we think we're ahead of this, and then something else happens. Every day we're facing something new. A day's wages for food. It speaks about in Revelation 6, 5 and 6. A day's wages for food. Now we're not talking about shelter. We're not talking about clothing. We're not talking about transportation. We're not talking about education. We're talking about Working all day just to feed yourself or your family. A day's wages. The UN looked at five steps before they call a country in famine or an area that is suffering with famine. One is, it requires that more than two people per 10,000 die each day. That least two people of 10,000 would die each day. That becomes a significant number when you're talking about a million people or more. The second is, acute malnutrition rates are above 30%. Now this third one really kind of hit me. I had to think about it. He says, all livestock is dead. If all livestock is basically dead, that's chicken and uh, that's your hogs, that's your cows. uh, So where is your meat at? Where is your thing that most of the world enjoy today? And there is less than 2,100 kilocalories of food. How many calories do you take in a day? Just think, if you held it under 2,000, you would be starving. But when for the average person in an area is less than 2,100, then there's starvation taking place. Once you take note of this other one here, especially the very last one, 
He says when there's four liters of water, liters of water available per person per day. Four liters of water. That would be your drinking water, your cooking water, your sanitation water. That would be all your water. So one of those little Pepsi bottles, that's all you would have for those Pepsi bottles, one liter bottles. That's all you would have all day for your drinking, your cooking, your sanitation. How would you make out? We only left four liters of water at your house per day. At that point, we have famine. We have famine. First seal again, that conquering. Second, peace taken. Third, famine. Famine also indicates something else that I didn't think about until I just started searching into a little bit more of famine. And it's happening in America more and more. And that we can't seem to somehow control it. Inflation. Inflation. When things rise out of control price-wise, and the average individual can no longer afford it. I'm back now, when I take my shower, I do my Marine Corps shower. Hey, hey. In Marine Corps, you only have three minutes to take a shower. And what you were taught to do, you go in there, you wet yourself down, turn off the water, lather yourself up, Turn the water back on and you're done. Water just didn't constantly run. The thing that has caused me to do that is when I look at my water bill. Because <laughs> when I was first married, my water bill only ran between 9 to $11 every three months. Now my water bill runs from 89 to $110 a month. Inflation from every three months... Nine to eleven dollars to monthly to eighty nine to one hundred ten dollars. I haven't started my wife on a Marine Corps shower yet. So, uh, I couldn't convince her on that. No. But then, where do you begin to cut back? When gas hits three dollars and something, how many of you cut back on your traveling? How many of you slowed down? The average person can no longer just take a joy ride. Sometimes my wife said, let's just go riding. Well, we did that when we were young. See? At that point, gas was not even over a dollar. So, boy, we get in the car and we just did joy riding, especially in the fall, to see the trees change and that changing and then the coloring of it. But now... No more joyriding. Unless you're on the motorcycle. Isn't that right, Roscoe? Amen. <laughs> but the whole process is we keep looking at things that are going up because, see, famine brings inflation also. Inflation brings famine. 
So when you read with me in Revelations chapter 6, he says in that verse 5, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. His rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Now, when we were coming up, and we would go down to Finelli's store, Finelli's was the store right down on the corner from us. And Mom would send us down to get a pound of bologna, a pound of chip-chop ham, a pound of this, or a pound of that. Everything was a pound, two pounds, half pound, quarter of a pound. But everything went on the scale unless it was in cans. Not too much going on scales today. Everything's almost pre-packed. But you could go into Isley's and, and you would order bologna a half pound. You know. But it was on the scale. And the scale told you how much you were going to receive and basically how much you were going to pay then for that half pound. So those, that scale is representing what you're going to receive and what you're going to pay. And it says that he comes with the scales that is going to balance you. And the thing about the scale is that you hope that it is right. That nobody's cheating you. That it is fair. Uh, why study these seals and the trumpets and the bowls? Because as we go through them, I want you to recognize the intensity part. As one writer puts it, the seals are what man is doing to man. And, and the trumpets is what Satan is doing. And, and, and the bowls is what God is doing. But each one intensify and sometimes they're very similar. But it heightens. It gets worse. It gets worse. We're not going to be here, and some folks may conclude, we, we won't be here, so why even bother with this? It's not going to affect us. It's affecting you now. It's affecting you now. It's like the Old Testament said, well, the Old Testament has no effect upon us. Let me share something with you. When the promise was given unto Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and his seed would be like the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea, guess what? I'm one of those sands. I'm one of those stars. (laughs) The promise given to Abraham affected me. And even with Moses, the promise affects me and that I am one of God's people. I am one of God's people. So when Peter talks about we're priesthood, where does priesthood come from? Really from from Israel. Not so much from the church, but the church is seen then as a priesthood of what? Believers, but where does priesthood itself come from? It comes from Israel. And I am a priest. What does the word priest mean? Servant. I'm a servant of the living God. It may have been said over here, but it has an effect on me. The promise that God has given 
has an effect. And then in John he says, boy, when we see him, we shall be like him. But he says, every man who has that hope in him, that's what? Purifies himself. So I'm living with an expectation that one day I'm going to see the return of Christ. I'm living that I'm going to see him. And it has an effect on me now. Though I do not see him, yet because I believe I will see him, it has an effect upon me. And even when you look at Job in Job 19, and Job says... I will see him in my own flesh. I will see him with my own eyes. Though Job heard nothing about the teaching of the resurrection, yet something, the Holy Spirit spoke with Job, and it has an effect upon Job's life that one day he will see him. The whole thing of Christ returning, does it have an effect on your life? We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. We don't know when that second coming is going to take place. But the issue is this. Will it have an effect on your life because you're aware of the teaching of it? And what kind of an effect will it have? Will it do something to your heart? Will it do something to your mind? Will it stir you? Many of us are like the man with the barns. Boy, I'm going to build me some more barns. I'm going to get some more of this worldly stuff in there. And I'm just going to drink and party and be happy, not knowing that this day the Lord requires my life. As a person told me down at the hospital some years ago, and they were an Asian individual. They said, the thing I see about America is this. They're always preparing to live. They don't prepare to die. And we are a people who are always preparing to live, to enjoy life. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about things that might disturb us or take away our fun. And yet... I want to share something with you. What God is sharing with us in the tribulation and about his wrath should not be looked upon as Christians as something sad, 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 but as joy, 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 because I'm about ready to see my Lord. The promises made in the old and the promises made towards the future, boy, they ought to impact our hearts. They ought to do something. They ought to stir us. Why? Because we can trust God. And all God's promises, all God's callings are irrevocable, Romans eleven twenty nine. I can count on it. If God said it, I can count on it. If God said it, I can believe it. And understanding the end time motivates us. To live godly. Turn with me to Second Peter before we get back into this just a little bit. Go to Second Peter 3, 11 and 12. Because it should motivate us to live a certain way, a certain type of life. It, it should help us. He said, since everything will be destroyed in the way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
Because you're understanding the end times, because you're understanding what's going to take place, how should that cause you to live differently? How many of you understand? See, my prayer more and more is, Lord, use me greater today than you did in my early part of my life. Why? Because I see my life shorter. And Lord, this body is tiresome. Lord, this body got all kind of aches. Lord, this is going on in this body and that there. You know, I was telling one person because they were asking me about something. I told them I learned my body because they're going through it too. And they're talking about a pain. Right? And it feels like a heart attack. And I told them, I learned when that happens to me, I'm exhausted and I just have to quit. Because it, it really does feel like a heart attack. But it ordered my life. It changed my life around. It made me more aware of my body. And what God is trying to do through these things here with us as we go through them is make us more aware of the time in which we are living that we can judge the time. Now, no man knoweth the day or the hour in which the rapture is going to take place or the second coming of Christ is going to take place, but we ought to be able to see the signs and say something's stirring. Something's stirring out here. And he goes on, he says, You ought, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. As you look where? Forward. Because you're aware of what's going to take place as you're looking forward to what God's going to do. It should have an effect on your life. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements with melt and the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. I was reading when, as I read a little bit more about, I begin to understand, we're not so much going to populate heaven as we are going to repopulate what? Earth. We're always talking about going to heaven. God's talking about redoing here. He's going to have a massive urban renewal here on planet Earth. And we're going to be here. Back to Genesis with Adam, right here, you know. And go with me to Matthew 24 just for a moment. Because, see, the disciples were so also concerned about this that they asked. They wanted to know. And sometimes people say, well, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this? I know I'm off a verse a little bit in Revelation 6. But I don't want you to just think we're going through this thing just to, for church activity or just be preaching on something or doing something. There's a reason that we go through these scriptures on the seal, the trumpets, the wrath of God, Babylon, why we're going to visit the seven churches that portray somewhat the present day church, why we're going to look at different areas, why we'll take some of Ezekiel. 
while we'll go and look at some of Daniel, and it's going to take time, yes. But God wants us to be aware or he would have never put it there. Now, you may not go through the tribulations, and I grant you that. You may not. I may not. But because we don't know the day or the hour, are you guaranteed? And if we go up, how many of you are willing to prepare your grandchildren who may not know the Lord? That they would be aware of what might take place. How many of you are willing to make aware or be a warning for those who you work with who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's some signs you ought to look for. And you make them aware. I'm so thankful along the road when it says bump that they warn you about a bump. I'm so thankful that when it says about a curve, slow down to 20, 25 miles an hour. What are they doing? They're warning me about what is what? What is up ahead. That's all we're doing. When we learn these things, we're going to warn others. We're going to warn our grandchildren. We're going to warn those in the future. We're going to warn those who think they're living in a perfect world that will never end, that there's coming an end. But we need to know it in order to be able to warn. But I want you to catch something in this Matthew 24, and then also in 25 is repeated, because I think it's for us, even in this day and this time, very much so. And we need it. We need it. But back in 24, in verse... In verse 3 he says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming? Now they're excited about it. They want to know. They want to know. May not happen while they live, but they want to know. How many of you want to know? See, the church... Oftentimes doesn't want to know certain things about the Bible. Somehow people have gotten to a point, if I don't know it, then I'm not accountable. If I don't know it, I'm not responsible. If I don't know it, let me share something with you. You are responsible and it's going to take effect whether you know it or don't know it. And ignorance, God says, he weeks at now. No longer will he accept the ignorance of his people when he's put it in his book and we just have to study it. A Christian should not be ignorant of the Word of God. That's not saying you're going to know everything. But we are too ignorant as a people who say we love the Lord and know very little about Him or His plan. And and the disciples came to Him and said, Lord, when is this going to happen? Lord, we want to know when is this going to happen. They were excited about it and they wanted to know. In verse 4 he says, Jesus answered, Watch. Now catch that word, watch. Because that's the first thing he tells them. Watch. Because, see, it's something that you should be able to see 
in approaching. How many of you have ever ran into a rainstorm? You're back here. You're seeing the trucks come out or the cars come out and and windshield wipers are still going. It lets you know they just come through what? Some storm, some rain. But you just keep going. And as you are in it, you get a little sprinkles at first. Then it comes just a little bit heavier. The next thing you know, like somebody throwing buckets of water on your windshield. They can't go fast enough. But you've been pre-warned. If you're watching as you're driving, you're looking at the drivers coming this way, who's coming out of it. That you can see that they've been in something. You're able to get the little sprinkling. You're able to get the little darkness sometime. Things begin to change and you know you're approaching it. People, we ought to know we are approaching tribulations. We ought to know we're getting closer. And he says, watch. And I don't think the church is watching very much today. Because if we were watching, it would be more, more of an urgency to share Christ. As we were out last week sharing Christ and giving out some Bibles, one man, as he voiced, quite voiceful with Travis, voiceful with me, I gave him the Bible. He took a few steps, threw it out in the street. I just went out in the street, picked it up, and gave it to somebody else. Where he didn't want it, another young man went home and got his sister, came back, and she asked for one. And we were able to stand there and talk. Pastor Travers, they just talked with a young lady, all confused, not knowing what's going on. Others talked. And as Roscoe said, the man told him, ah, don't you see that I'm working right now? I said, go to work, brother. <laughs> you know? But you meet all those different kind out there. But it's getting the word into their hand. It's talking to them. It's sharing the information. It's lying them to know God loves you. It's ministering to them. In Matthew, he says again, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. That's number one. Number two, for many will come in my name. Number two, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars. There's the other one. Are we hearing of wars? Are we seeing war? Now, somebody will say, we've had wars since. But do we have them at the scale that we're having them today? Are we having them at the horrific deaths of innocent people today? But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still what? So we're seeing things that must happen, knowing yet the end must still what? Come. And he goes on, he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be what? Famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of what? Of a birth pain. You're like a woman. Ready to give birth. She has her what? Her birth pains. She knows the steps that takes place. When that water breaks, it's not long what? It's right at the door. 
And the whole process, God says, now, be watchful, prepare. And what I want you to do is be watchful and prepare yourself. Now, go down to Matthew uh, 42, 24, 42. 24, 42. Remember the first word that he used was watch. Was watch. Look at what he says today. He says it again. Therefore, keep watch. Keep what? Keep watch. Never stop watching. Because the watching is going to tell you the time in which you're living. You keep watching. Dr. Lugerson, my old professor over prophecy and end times, used to say, Gus, and he would tell the class, and me and him made a hobby of looking at newspapers. I couldn't get all the newspapers, but he would get about, boy, six to eight newspapers from around the world and here in the United States. He said, the newspapers will tell you what's happening in the Bible. You, you'll be able to read it. And you'll be able to see it begin to happen. And he says, watch Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time or night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. Now, we don't know the time, but we're responsible to do what? Keep watch. To keep watch. Now, go to 25, go to verse 13. Look what he says again. Therefore, keep what? Yeah. Keep watch. How many of you are really watching? How many of you are really taking note of what's taking place? He says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. But keep watch. Keep watch. Now, he spoke about the famine coming. Go back to Revelation 6. He says, his rider has a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard the sound like a voice among four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. That it was going to take all of this to feed a family. Now, we're not talking about shelter yet. We're not talking about clothing. We're just talking about a slow change that will take place in a society leading up to tribulation or in tribulation. But God says for you to watch it. For you to watch it. One of the things that begin to take place is the shift of mind or thinking. Many of you... Heard about the judge. Ohio judge cannot choose marriage type. A shift, a shift of thinking. So we have quickly made a shift of thinking. For it will be in the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. We made a shift, a change in it. How many of you recognizing and hearing more and more? Did you hear what Hillary Clinton said? That she would like to make all 
junior college free, America would applaud and say, great, great. But if we're buying 30 cents on every dollar of Social Security today, how are we going to make education free? We're already in debt. We're already trillions of dollars in debt. So who do we write that check? Um, It's getting more and more if you study student loans. And we're saying, how are we going to educate a younger generation? Students can't borrow enough. And what is allowing us to know, one of the things that's happening in America more and more with students borrowing money for their education, they are putting themselves further and further in debt. And guess what? It's taking longer and longer and longer to pay it off. Most of us assume, well, if I got a job, I'll be able to pay it off. The question is, when you're not employed, how are you going to pay it? The question is, when it begins to mount up to too much and your income is not there, how are you going to pay it? But we are accustomed of getting our education without counting the cost of it because it's taken up to 30 to 40 percent of some people's income to pay back what they have borrowed. So what do that do with the overall living expense? This is more current. How many of you read about the pensions? Last year, Obama signed the Pension Act, where the pension areas can stay solvent. But just think right now, you who are retired, if you lost 50% of your pension, what would happen to you? And some people are facing that right now. 50% of their pension. Inflation hadn't took place, but when you lose 50%, inflation took place. Because, as Obama said, and he tried to explain it, your pension is not guaranteed. For you got paid for your labor, for your work. A pension is a benefit that can either you receive or it can be taken away. Famine. Famine. Ask me, if I was to ask you right now, if you were to lose all of your retirement, what would happen to you? Yeah. Hey, most of us couldn't live like World War, uh, like a lot of people in the world. We couldn't just take plastic and make ourselves a home. We couldn't take the dung of cows and build a home and sleep in it. We couldn't sleep on the ground. We're not accustomed to that. Some of you can go back into the 50s when we stood in line. At that time, I'm only about 13 years old. But we stood down on Howard Street to get a little brown bag, powdered eggs, powdered milk, spam, gravy hamburgers, (laughs) government cheese. Because welfare was not like it is today. Can it revert back to that? Yes. Famine. Here in Akron, tight housing supply, closed doors on renters. 
They even talked about landlords who can't even afford to rent their house because sometimes they're in such a low income area, they cannot afford to rent. And renting in Akron is becoming rougher. The prices are going up. Very few places to rent. But you're paying top dollar for what you're renting. Many renters in the Akron area face financial stress over trying to pay a high percent of their income for housing. And finding a place to rent is getting increasingly difficult in Summit County as strong demands is bumping into deep, into a drop in available rental properties. Is famine taking place? Slowly? Is things changing? Slowly? Cost of the elderly. In two years, this young lady's mother spent over $300,000 taking care of herself. Two years, $300,000. How many of you have a health plan? How many of you know how you're going to really take care of yourself? It's becoming more and more costly. I want you to keep that in mind because the Bible speaks about there will be those who will be able to survive even the famine. Guess what? When Haiti had a storm, we never heard about the wealthy in Haiti. We only heard about what? The poor. In any country, we always hear about the poor, but we never hear about the wealthy. And it's amazing how the wealthy are able to survive it and still move on. But yet it is the wealthy who also are able to capitalize on that which is taking place. Prepare yourself to tell your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, your neighbors, your co-workers. And most of all, remind yourself. If you think it's tough today, it's only going to get tougher. As I sit sometime with older people and I hear, no, I'm not going to lay up a heritage for my children. There's a principle about laying up a heritage for your children. That you would lay up something, they would lay up something, but they keep building on that inheritance that has been laid up. That it takes away some of the sting of life. The hurts of life. Because you have prepared to leave something. They leave something. The next one leaves something. It's the worst thing to say. Boy, I'm not leaving them nothing. Hope that God don't put you in a place that you don't have nothing to leave. I'd rather leave it than to be alive and need it and don't have it. He says the scales is in the hand and the price of everything is going up. And today we call it inflation. What is inflation? A persistent increase in the general levels of prices. Your dollars buy less. Your dollars buy less. It takes more money to provide 
for the needs of a family, the food, the shelter, the whole thing of health and clothing is taking more, more, more. And we're fighting about a health plan here in America constantly. How many of you realize most of the world does not have a health plan? Most of the world does not have a hospital within a hundred miles of where the people live. The dishonest scales that take place. And in America right now, what is one of the things we're fighting? We haven't made a lot of noise about it. But if you really listen and take note of California, how many growers could not plant crops because they didn't have what? If they don't plant crops, what happens to the food or to the grapes or to whatever fruit we would get from California? Therefore, we're buying more and more of our food and our fruit from overseas. Now, overseas will sell it to us while they starve their own people to prop up a certain government or a certain group of people. But their own people will starve while we eat what they grow. Because we have the money to pay for it right now. But if you look at California, what's happening in the drought in California and the water issue. And how many states do you hear during the year sometime? They implement water laws. You can't water your lawn. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't wash your car. You can't. Elaine loves getting on the front porch, spraying down. Girl, turn that hose off. (laughs) And she'll tell me sometimes, well, need to water the grass. That's God's grass. He take care of it in the park. He can take care of it at 444. Hey, hey. We make those changes because, see, there is that water shortage. There is a food shortage. And what else is taking place in America? There's a work shortage. Me and Pastor Travis were sitting in a meeting. Um, we were listening, and uh, the whole process was a uh, young man stood up, been out of prison maybe maybe a year or a short time, I don't know, but he said to one of the Candidates running for mayor. I need a job. If you don't give me a job, I got to revert back to what I was doing before. I got to sell drugs. I got to No, you got other choices. But the thing is this here. It's where he was stuck at in his head. This is what I'll have to do. But if... That's what you did before wounded you up in prison. Then what's the result next time? Prison or death? We do have a shortage of work. But we have to understand something. Government don't really provide a job for you. The mayor can't provide a job for you. So there is that shortage as population continues to what? Grow. And people are going to want. So there is that shortage of food and shortage of water and shortage of work. 
And if you look in this verse, look what he says. Boy, he says, Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages. And then he's telling me work is hard. And work's not paying that much. And he drops down, he says, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Now understand barley was mainly used to feed the cows, the horses, the animals. To keep them. And it was mainly used for, my dad had a word for poor, but then he had another word to it, poor, poor. Uh, we used to ask him, what is poor, poor, dad? <laughs> He said, you have poor people, but then you have poor people who are worse off than the poor people. Those are your poor, poor. And they're eating the barley. They're eating what others don't want to eat. They're having to make do with their family on substandards. Ladies, when you go in the grocery store, you used to be joyful going shopping for your family. Is it a little painful today? See, Elaine and I, and I just keep going back with the comparison part, and I know sometimes it's hard to compare, but when me and Elaine first got married, $20 would fill our refrigerator, boy, our cupboards. We would have four or five bags of groceries for $20. We would have pork chops. She would have steak. She would have this. We ate good, didn't we, Jane? Hey. But $20 a day. But see, as you have young people who grow up in it, they don't see it. Because all they do is say, this is part of life. So when Elaine and I bought our first home, it was only 19000 You go look at a home today, you're 80, 100, 200. And see, when you talk 300 and want me to sign, my hands shake all over the place. First car only cost 1600 a Mustang, navy blue. You go buy a new car today and look what you have. Inflation, time. But yet, we keep marching towards this, but guess what? As we grow in generation to generation, we're not really aware that one day I'm not going to be able to afford this. One day I'm not going to be able to live a certain way. One day I'm not going to be able to eat what I want to eat. And he simply says, boy, a quart of wheat, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And it's getting rough. Now this all, I believe, leads up to the mark of the beast. Because somebody has to begin to ration. Somebody has to begin to say, this is what you're going to receive. Somebody has to be willing to say, okay, because 
you are doing what we want you to do, you get treated a little better than this group or that group. Somebody is going to take control. And I believe that's part of what goes on in 13. Go over to chapter 13 just for a moment in Revelation. Look at verses 16 and 17. Because something has to happen in order to bring about the mark. But the issue of the mark is about buying and selling. It's about meeting your basic needs. It's about furnishing yourself with what you have need of each and every day. So he says in that verses 16 and 17, he said, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had what? Yeah. There's somebody who takes control of this thing now. But all these other things have to happen that put them out of control, that allows people to agree. Somebody got to help us. Somebody got to bring order. Somebody got to bring peace. Somebody got to bring this thing into a way that we're not killing each other over breadcrumbs. Because remember what it said in the second place, that he will cause you to kill one another? Now, just think about it. Will man kill man over a drink of water? Yes. Will man kill man over a crumb of bread? Yes, he will. Will man kill man over shelter and the things he has need of in life? Yes, he will. And if Satan gets us to that place where we're killing each other for the necessities of life, When you go back and study the Cuban revelation, revolution, you find Castro is not so bad. Because Castro is leased to a point where he's fighting for the poor that they can eat and have something and some type of prosperity because the rich in Cuba had claimed everything. And any time you see revolution, it is because the poor is suffering so badly that life has no meaning and they're willing at that point to fight that they might live. Now you may not think it's happening, but it's happening more and more in America. Drive around and look at how many private communities, gated communities are going up. What does gated communities mean? I come in, you stay. I drive through my gate, I feel safe, no matter what's happening where. We're finding more and more gated communities going up. For those who can really afford it. If you can't afford it, you have to stay out. And the market for buying and selling. Because somebody got to control this thing. You see how Satan's slowly setting it up? And remember what Jesus said? Watch. 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 And if you watch, you'll see it little by little by little. Sometime you're in an area. You ever see when they tear down a house or tear down something? And then when something new is built, first you see what? The digging. Then you see the foundation going in. 
Then you begin to see things go up. And now you begin to see it. And finally you see what? The finished product. People, we need to know when Satan is digging. When Satan's digging his foundation to be able to perform his operation and his function. We need to be aware of that. Last part. The oil and the wine. He says to this angel, Do not damage the oil and the wine. Don't bother the oil and the wine. Well, wait a minute. We got problems here. What about this thing, oil and the wine? It's the wealthy. The oil and the wine is something of the wealthy. And the wealthy are still going to be able to take care of themselves. The wealthy is still going to be able to have oil and wine. Remember, both of these were used for two important necessities of life at the time. Both was used for medicine. Remember what Timothy and remember what Luke tells Paul? Take a little wine for your what? Stomach sake for your sickness, for what's going on. Take a little wine. Okay? Wine was also used very highly for entertainment and for partying. Wine was also used in many places as substitutes of drinking water. And still today in many places around the world, wine is the main drink, not the water. The water is used for cooking, the water used for bathing, but you don't drink it. And the more wealthier people use wine for their drinking and to take care of their thirst per se. Oil was used also for medicine because of the heat, the dryness. The oil was also used for cooking. The oil was used to rub on. Now, ladies, understand something here. When you read Esther's chapter 2 and verse 12, I believe it is, it talks about the cosmetics. What are we going to be able to do when we can't get our nails done no more? What are we going to do when we can't get our weave? Famine done hit! Just think of how much America spends on cosmetics compared to the rest of the world. But oil is used in it for the rich. And the rich are going to still be able to enjoy a certain level of life way beyond those who are poor. Those who don't have. Those who did not take time to prepare, nor to teach their young people, is going to be a shock wave that comes. We talk about people doing the Great Depression, jumping out of buildings and doing this and doing that. And we haven't seen anything yet. But we need to understand. That God tells us to watch. Understand the times in which you are living. Because God has pre-warned. 
God is not allowing you to be ignorant unless you choose to be ignorant. God says, read the signs of the times. Look at them. I pray for my grandchild now. I pray, one, that he'll come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Why? Because no matter what happens, God will provide for him. I pray that he'll have knowledge of God if he never accepts the Lord, that he'll be able to see what's taking place and recognize, I need the Lord. I missed the first train, but I'm not missing another one. There won't be a second rapture. But there will be people saved during the tribulation period. And you need to understand something as Satan even now. I'm not against the iPad. I'm not against the notebooks. I'm not against all these things. But China will tell you something. There's nothing like a written page. Based on this fact. The government can cut it all down tomorrow. (laughs) But your little written page. I have the whole Bible at home. And it's, it's about that thick. Which missionaries use to give out to Chinese people. But you got to have the magnifying glass to read it. No. But they have it on written page. That the government cannot control what's on the other. People, as we go through, hear about these seals. Then compare the seals. And and I'm going to put them all up on the screen one day. The seals, the trumpet, the bowls, that you see also the comparison part. But understand, each one gets worse and worse. It takes us deeper and deeper. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that, Lord that you have instructed us to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And Lord, none of us want to go to heaven quickly. We're looking to live a long life. And we want to thank you for the long life that you give us. But we know, Lord, even if we live to be 116, 120, we know at some point life comes to an end. And Lord, we want to be ready when life comes to its end. It doesn't matter when it comes to an end, in which time period it comes to an end. We want to know, we want to know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and we can truly say in our heart, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And we want to know within ourselves, oh God, that we have had the privilege, O God, of walking with you and walking worthy of your calling. But Lord, that we can truly say that we've been faithful to the Lord. We've been faithful to the Lord. For you ask the question, when you come, will you find any who are faithful? And Lord, we want to be able to say, yes, I'm going to be faithful unto the Lord. 